This is Dr. Rob Harder with the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, making your world better. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? What are the biggest challenges? What are the biggest obstacles? How should nonprofits fundraise in an economy that is constantly changing? All of these reasons combined led me to start this show. And it's my hope that through this series, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear from effective leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy the show as together we hear how they are making their world better. Hello, everybody. Well, my guess is that for many of you as you're listening to this episode, this is perhaps the busiest season of the year. Your days and perhaps even your nights are filled with extra programming, raising more money, trying to get to those year-end gifts. So here's my hope. My hope is that you're taking care of yourself along the way. Self-care is so critical. So perhaps you just need permission today to create a healthy boundary around your very full schedule. And I also wanted to say thank you. Thanks for all you're doing to make your world better. Just wanted to start by saying those words. Now, on to today's episode and our theme today, servant leadership. What is the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the word? Is it a positive connotation or a negative one? Does it sound like an oxymoron? My guest today believes that while the term servant leadership really isn't used much anymore, and perhaps it's even considered old-fashioned by some, it is at the core of what many of our top leadership experts espouse today. My guest today is Evan Wildstein. He is the author of the book, Nonprofiteers Fundraising Field Guide. Today, Evan and I will discuss what is servant leadership and what does it look like when it's applied practically to everyday situations that you and I find ourselves in as we serve our various organizations. Enjoy today's show. This podcast is sponsored by DonorBox. DonorBox, helping you help others with the best donation forms in the business. Evan, so glad to have you on the show today. Thanks for having me. It's really great to be here. It's a, a dreary, sort of the whole state of Texas is seeing this northeastern looking weather. So it's nice to be doing something enjoyable today. I'm glad to hear that. Excellent. Well, I really am excited to talk about the topic of leadership today with the backdrop of your book. You recently wrote a book entitled The Nonprofiteer's Fundraising Field Guide. A very intriguing book title. Maybe we'll get into that in a bit. Now, throughout this book, though, you really focus on what effective leadership looks like, and you focus on servant leadership. I don't know if this is the right way to put it, but maybe it's an old-fashioned way of looking at leadership, but I love it. I resonate with the term servant leadership. And I thought I would start today with a quote you include in your book that really resonated with me. And that quote was um, from John Burkhart and Larry Spears, who said this, inspired by Greenleaf, I believe, true leadership emerges from those whose primary motivation is a deep desire to help others. Now, I couldn't agree more with this sentiment, um, but why did this quote have such an impact on you for you to include it in your book? There are, in the lore of servant leadership, there are a lot of quotes that and phrases and sayings and, and speeches that sort of follow that sentiment. And, you know, I, I would say that I'm not unique in having the experience of having um, this type of idea modeled for me in my upbringing. You know, we lived in a house, not a tiny house, but not a big house, uh, growing up about 10 people. We had both sets of grandparents, my parents, my brother, couple uncles, one of my father's friends when he was going through some hard times. And so this idea of helping others and being of service were kind of baked into to who I was and who my family was and is very young. 
And I, I proudly have taken that with me through my formative years. And it's probably no surprise that I landed then in the social impact nonprofit sector for this very reason. And by the time I arrived at learning about servant leadership formally, it really just made a bunch of sense to me. It's like all the things that I believed in, all the things that I saw modeled for me through my parents and my family. I was probably about 10 years or so ago, came to some work. You mentioned Larry Spears, who's been, he was one of my professors in grad school at Gonzaga University, has stayed he and I just exchanged letters because you know I have an old spirit and we do that kind of thing. He was a co-author for a book and a co-editor for a book called Fortuitous Encounters. And that was that book probably came out about 10 or 13 years ago and it or 10 or 11 years ago. And it did these little vignettes of servant leadership, maybe like three to four pages. So like perfect for this generation, you know, if you want sort of like the TikTok version of a leadership book. That's right. And all these great little stories about, you know, one one of the authors was in a cab ride and, and really had a led a servant leader conversation with uh, the cab driver. Uh, one of the other authors was at a dinner. I forget how they got on the topic of carpet, but at a dinner with Coretta Scott King, uh, MLK Jr.'s wife, and they were talking about carpet and how the Kings decided not to have carpet because the people that they chose to lead were poor and they could not afford carpet. And this notion of leadership is not what you get by being a leader, but what you give up by being a leader. And so all of this sort of wove together for me in this understanding that servant leadership was hella cool. I think it's the the way to go about it. And I found that to be very similar to, to what I experienced growing up. And I've been in nonprofits now for 20 years. And a lot of the stuff that I saw done really well in the nonprofit space. No, I appreciate your spirit. I think we very much connect on that and that men- mentality and that sentiment. And as you point out, perhaps one of the most famous proponents of this concept of servant leadership is Robert Greenleaf. I think my guess is my listeners have, are familiar with Greenleaf's work. And Greenleaf has described the distinction of a servant leader in this way. The servant leader is servant first. That person is sharply different than the one who is leader first. There's a lot of nuance there, but I, again, I agree with this sentiment. How do you distinguish leadership from servant leadership? This may be, what do the kids say on social media, a hot take or a, a spicy take? But oh, I, yeah, yeah. I, in the way that I've come to feel about this, learn about this, and think about this, I'm not sure that I separate the two. And maybe this is a bit uh, too optimistic of me. But you know, I'm from the school of thought that leadership is a verb or an action, and it's about influence rather than a position. And that notion of being of service is very action-oriented, and it does more to raise the whole you know, any group of people than any individual part. And I, you know, I find servant leadership somewhat ties or at least tries to codify what it means to be of service. And, you know, if you were to compare servant leadership to uh, a lot of the other types, where is it? People can't see, but I always keep a copy of Peter Northhouse's leadership. You know, it's a a short 456 page read. That was one of the, the sort of compendiums that you go through in grad school. And you read through all the different types of leadership theories, the great man theory, which not always about men, but really the bravado, corner office, you know, louder than others, transactional leadership, transformational leadership, authentic leadership, and you know, all those different types. I have found that in practice and even in theory, that servant leadership is the one that sets itself apart. And I think it's the, the one that if led actively and accurately, it's kind of the thing that could save businesses and any kind of organization. You know, well said. And, you know, it's interesting as you talk about this term servant leadership, inherent in that term really are some paradoxes. In fact, you explore this theme a little bit in your book. What are some of those paradoxes and why are they so important to examine? The the, the most obvious, if we let's go lexically, you know, the most obvious, I think, is the, the choice of the word servant or the choice of the words servant leader. Um, I, I quoted it in my book, there, there are a couple authors who have said, you know, like, who wants to be a servant? You know, I think few people actively want to be a servant. And even those who say they do, 
they lean into that in what I would say wholeheartedly is the wrong way. Um, they give too much of themselves. And, and especially in the social sector, this is why we see such an increased cases of burnout and servant leadership, kind of the shadow of that. I wrote a not short piece in the International Journal of Servant Leadership because, of course, there's a scholarship journal for everything. And, and I pitched forward this proposal and the, the editor wrote back to me and said, really, really, really lean into your Carl Jung and you know, focus on the shadows. And in servant leadership, we see if it's not tested, if you don't put boundaries up, there leads to a lot of martyrdom and a lot of caretaking and things that burn people out. And then that's not really, that's the spirit of a lot of nonprofit work, but that's not the thing that's going to help the sector. And so I think one of, one of the, the specific paradoxes is maybe it was a poor choice of title. You know, I think of some of these bands that I really like and people say, why did you choose that band name? And so we were 16-year-olds in a garage and we just, the Foo Fighters, we chose it and we regret it and we would have done differently. And so I think maybe if Greenleaf could have fast-forwarded 50-some-odd years, he might have chosen a different phrasing. But it's, the thing that I'll point to is, you recall from the book, maybe that, you know, the hyphen between servant and leadership. I think when it's written the right way, Pat Filatico is an author that I quote in the book who uh, is a great servant leadership uh, theorist and leader, you know, that hyphen really connects the two because the servant without the leader leaves some things out and the leader without the servant also leads some things out. So it is that joining of the two to the ever important hyphen that makes it a bit less paradoxical, but still 50 some odd years later from when Greenleaf wrote his pivotal essay, there's still a lot to unpack from it. Right, right. And no, I like that juxtaposition, if you will, of those two terms. And I think you're right. They both need each other, if you will. And yet, and you also explore this in your book, that over the years, the concept of leadership really has changed. It was really much, very much a command and control leadership model for a long time. And that's moved to a collaborative leadership model. But along the way, it does seem like the concept of servant leadership has been slow to be embraced. And we kind of touched on it a little bit earlier, but why is it? You mentioned no one wants to be a servant, but maybe beyond that, why is it such a concept that where it's hard or just, we don't see it very often, I guess, particularly when it comes to leaders that we look up to, leaders that we honor. Servant leadership is not always the number one trait of that person. Why is that? Build probably on the, the responses I gave about the paradoxes, but I think there's a lacking consistency in the definition of how servant leadership looks in practice. And this is one of the, it, you know, maybe we'll get to this in the conversation, but one of the one of the things that I found is like a lot of the literature out there keeps the idea of servant leadership very high level, very whimsical. It allows for a lot of great conversations, but at times it, it prevents gravity on the conversation of what servant leadership is. And in the absence of that gravity, it's hard to tangibly move something like this along. And that was the goal not to I want to talk more about the stuff and, and maybe a little bit less about the book, but that was one of my goals in the book is to put some practical, practicable, tested actions to an otherwise wonderful yet very heady concept and philosophy. Well, okay. So if you were to change the term, and if you were to tell um, Robert Greenleaf, hey, I've got a different term, what term would you change servant leadership to? <laughs> Good question. I'm a very poor marketer. <laughs> oh, is that right? Okay. Uh, you know, I <laughs> I think if we had a, what is, what is that thing with technology, like symbiosis or something, if we could sort of beam our thoughts into one another's heads, people would intrinsically get what servant leadership is. But I think if, absent that gravity that I talked about, people just kind of run with it. And I think, you know, who, who wants to be, you know, people want to be of service, but who wants to be servants? We'll circle back to that. And I don't know. And when I talk with this early in my research, when I spoke with people, one of the one of the responses I got from folks was, you know, servant leadership, that's kind of old-fashioned, isn't it? Maybe we should talk about 
empathy-based leadership or patience-based leadership. And I think one of the cool things about servant leadership, I focused on these 10 core traits, the things that Greenleaf and others wrote about more, most, most regularly, but all of the great stuff, all the great like ingredients in the leadership stew, that is servant leadership. So I think too, that might be one of the challenges with it. It's, you know, all these big traits about listening and conceptualization and healing, building community, all these things. I think those of us who center around the social impact space think these are no brainers. So we could use any one of those, you know, conceptual leadership. We can use any one of those. And servant leadership may just, maybe too many ingredients in a tiny little pot and it's sort of bubbling over like, like popcorn in that stew. Really bad analogy there, but I think you, maybe you get it. No, totally. And a good segue into the 10 characteristics you do mention this. There's 10 core characteristics of servant leadership that you mentioned. One of the key ones you point out is empathy. In fact, you just mentioned that maybe in today's world, empathy is a word we use a lot. And I think that's true that in some ways, empathy can be one of those key characteristics of servant leadership. Why though, in your opinion, is empathy such a core characteristic when it comes to servant leadership? And I appreciate that you've tempered that with asking my opinion about it because anyone listening, these are all opinions. Some of them are researched. I think some of these are academically sound, but they are opinions. I, you know, we are, as you were getting to in, in your question, we are living in a moment when empathy, and I would say real empathy, has almost never been more important. Maybe the 1960s and 70s, but we are living through this really remarkable time, and not always the best definition of remarkability. And you know, there's affective empathy, which is where you might say, uh, "I know how you feel because I've been there too." Uh, and there's cognitive empathy, which is where you might say, I'd like to go with you on this journey so that I can better understand how you feel. And that that latter part, that cognitive empathy part, I, I think is really important, especially building in building something and especially during turbulent times like we're seeing now, 2020 through now, just sort of remarkably different in a time when people seem very disinterested in sharing with others and taking others' perspectives. And this is one of the stories that I pointed to in the book. And and this was a, a nonprofit leader here in Texas who leads one of the larger social service agencies. And you know, one of what I think the neat things about the, the the way that I did the the book narrative is that each of those 10 characteristics, I I added a story from a social impact or a nonprofit leader. Uh, and this person, the, their story was in the empathy section. And they they told me about a time when, you know, they were newly the CEO of this organization and there was, you know, the the big seven-figure major donor that, you know, had made the, the big transformative gift to the other like organization in town and the the board and and these other staff said you need to go meet with this person because there's a seven figure gift waiting for us if we just engage with that person. And in the first meeting they were told by this donor, you know, love this organization, wishing you a lot of luck, but like I'm not going to do that for you. Like we've already done that over here. But the the CEO was sort of undeterred and in that cognitive like I want to be there with you also so I can understand what you're passionate about that presence in empathy was really important to them. And they, they started going to like to, to civic uh, council meetings, like trying to get legislation passed. And, and I think this, this donor was really interested in senior rights. And so went to these meetings, had these conversations, helped get some legislation passed. And the donor felt really inspired by the CEO's presence. They were empathetic by being there with them along that journey. And a seven-figure gift came their way, even though they were told they weren't going to get it. So even that true inherent definition of empathy, like understanding someone else's perspective, you, you may not, like we have a lot of cancer in my family. And so I have empathy for people with cancer. We don't have a lot of mental health, to my knowledge, we don't have a lot of mental health issues in my family. But in the work that I do in my nonprofit, I raise money for healthcare, mental healthcare, and other things. And so being with people on that journey, physically, on Zoom meetings, on phone calls, reading what they've written, you can learn to be empathetic by participating in the process with them. And it's 
it just really feels like an important time in history to be leaning into that more than a lot of people might expect to. I love that. Yeah, this idea of just being with and uh, good job on that CEO's part just to continue to plug away. Uh, to me, that also shows authentic leadership, right? that he wasn't there just for the gift, but was there literally just to continue that relationship, number one, and also advocate for the various causes that he advocated for. So great example. Okay, another core characteristic of servant leadership that you mentioned is listening. And I found, I think one of the most underrated skills, if you will, of a good leader is good listening. I think listening is very much underrated, but it's one of the most impactful things I found. And maybe it goes back into the empathy piece that people today, particularly this next generation, I think coming through, want to be heard. They want to be seen. They want to be recognized. So talk about that. What have you found in your experience? Why is listening so important? Well, Greenleaf, I point to Greenleaf Lodge. He's a guy I would have liked to sit with and have coffee or tea. He was probably a tea drinker or like <laughs> matcha. Kemp. Matcha. Maybe, oh, okay. Maybe there wasn't matcha or kombucha in the way that we we have it now. But I, I imagine I always picture Greenleaf as 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 one of those folks. But you know, he thought it was supremely important. So much so that of all the things he wrote about, spoke about, gave lectures on, listening appeared more in his stuff than anything else. He has a great line in. In, in the servant as leader, which, you know, if, I always tell people, get my book or don't get my book. I don't really care. But do find Robert Greenleaf's essay, The Servant as Leader. It was sort of the thing in 1970 that changed everything. But he, he said that a true natural servant responds to any problem. And I think I'm quoting this exactly by listening first. You mentioned earlier that the true natural uh, leader is servant first as opposed to leader first. But responding to any problem by listening first and that true listening builds strength in other people. Listening, when you think of it, psychological thing. You've got to hear, you've got to have your, your cochlear you know, business working, but that has to translate to something that you're actually actively understanding. These days, you know, back to the empathy part too, I think listening is rarely, maybe people hear, but people aren't listening as much as they should. And it's important because nobody does it. We hear and we wait our turn in a conversation to respond, but we don't allow space for that really great generative conversation to happen. And you know, some of this is very simple. Some of the advice I give in the book is, especially for fundraising, because this book is really tethered around how to do these things to build better fundraising teams, build better shops, and raise more money. You know, There's that kind of like, we talk about the 80-20 rule in philanthropy as like an overhead thing, but the 80-20 rule in listening, you know, speak 20% of the time, listen 80% of the time. And it's in real time, that's hard math to do, I am certainly speaking 80% in this conversation because you are <laughs> right. prompting. Hey, you're not acting with, with such because you are prompting with such great questions. But lean, you know, a lot of that has to do with body language. You know, lean, lean forward, be active with people. You know, you you got people probably can't see, but you got two ear holes and one mouth hole. And you know, use them to their full advantage because you can listen the research shows two or three times more than you can speak. And it's you're gonna you're gonna really pay attention to things if you can open up space for what what a donor or a partner or anyone in that diet is saying, or especially what they're not saying. We'll be right back. Are you looking for an easy and effective way to boost your nonprofit's donations? Look no further than DonorBox, the online fundraising platform that streamlines your fundraising efforts, maximizes donations, and simplifies giving for your supporters. With DonorBox, you can create beautiful donation forms, accept digital wallet payments, track donations, and send auto receipts. And the best part? There are no setup or monthly fees and no long-term contracts required. So what are you waiting for? Visit DonorBox.org today to get started. That is DonorBox.org. Hey friends, thanks so much for listening to the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast. 
I wanted to let you know that I have recently become a professionally certified coach. With my nearly 30 years of nonprofit experience, I know firsthand how hard leaders work. I also know how important it is to have someone you can call on to get help with the barriers and leadership challenges you will face both professionally and personally. I really want people to thrive and become all they were meant to become by providing coaching and consulting services. If coaching is something you've always been interested in, but weren't quite sure what it was all about, I encourage you to reach out. You can go to my website, robharder.com, or just email me at rob at robharder.com. I would be happy to provide a free sample coaching session so you can determine if coaching is for you. Thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. I'm curious, as you went through this book, what was one or two of the biggest surprises you found when you did your research and you applied it to your everyday work there? I continue to be surprised now as, as I was back when I, when I started all this by how few people have taken the, the sort of practical approach that, that I've at least tried to do. And in, my, in the early research for the book, I would say disappointed may be too harsh, but I was disappointed but not surprised by how many people believed servant leadership was all about putting other people first, full stop very little or no consideration for the self. And I don't believe that's actually what Greenleaf intended. And he wrote a lot about this when he mused on another servant leader characteristic of healing. And that's one of the behaviors in how we really must heal ourselves first before we can work on healing others. And I I believe that goes for individuals, but also especially it goes for institutions and organizations as well. And to your earlier questions about the paradoxes and maybe why this has taken so long to come to the sort of public fore, I I think those are some of the reasons. And I I just wish everyone would take a very practical approach to talking about servant leadership. I, I think of these all as practical behaviors. You know, we talk about listening. How do you actively listen? We talked about persuasion and healing. You know, how do you actively persuade and actively heal in a way that is genuine? And if we could pull it down from that thirty thousand foot level, uh, I, I think more people. Let's call it what it is. There are a lot of people in modern leadership lore who are taking servant leadership characteristics and kind of spinning it in their own way. I won't name any of the authors. That have, <laughs> they may be. They may be some of the books that you and I both have on our bookshelves, but. It's true, tried, tested servant leadership, but we're calling it something else. And so uh, maybe it's just servant leadership would have benefited from, you know, 2020's marketing. There you go. That's right. You need a marketing campaign, a a rebrand of the term. Yep. Got it. Well, okay. Here's what I find very interesting when I saw your book. It's entitled Nonprofit Fundraising Field Guide. I kind of have a certain thing in my mind of what I think of a fundraising book. And I was very like, whoa, this is not about fundraising initially anyway. So tell me more about your thought about why you labeled and entitled your book that way when to me, the heart of this book is all about servant leadership as we've been talking about. So talk to me about that, how you came up with that title. I had originally intended... Uh, the, the book itself, which it's 90 pages, it's tiny. I had originally intended for it to be, you're familiar with Rick Steves' little travel books, like the little pocket books. Uh, the publisher I worked with said, please don't do that because it's actually very difficult to keep a book that small open. And it's like, if you, if you really, <laughs> and so if you like physically, if you really want this book to be used by people, you, you want to have it a little bit bigger. But I thought in the, the field guide mentality, because A, again, there's very little practical stuff out there on servant leadership. And so I even wrote it in a way where once you get past the first few pages and you want to get to these traits, you know, if you want to read about listening, pages X through X. You want to learn about empathy, you go X through X. And so it was written to be relatively thorough, but 
in only 90 pages. And that's 90 pages, including the cover, tail end, and all the blank pages in between. Like you could read it. Uh, you, know, you and I are, are friendly with John and Becky at We Are For Good. Becky said she read it on a flight, you know, a two or three hour flight. You can get through it really quickly. And that was a lot of the stuff that's out there. A lot like this leadership book I pointed to before is 400 pages. A lot of the books I have downstairs on servant leadership are two, three, 400 pages because there is so much to be said about it. But that field guide mentality of taking it into something that's practical and you could read it and walk away with saying, those three things I hadn't thought to try. I'm going to go try those tomorrow. That was my real goal that you wouldn't have to pontificate with a management team and you know write a case study. You could just like say, I'm going to go, oh, he mentioned this technology that I could go test today and it's free. Let me go do that. That's good. Well said. And I like that. I, I think that's really, I very much resonate with that. I think about this podcast and, and you, of course, are involved other podcasts that, you know, there is something to be said about, I need something practical. I think most nonprofit leaders need something they can put into practice today or tomorrow, right? With their team, they don't necessarily need more theory. They need more practicality. And I, so, so I do like that approach. Tell me more about the fundraising aspect of it. And I think I know where you're going with it, but the tie-in with fundraising versus leadership, say, uh, on your title and maybe the emphasis. So the big question, like what kind of book is it? You know, it is for, I think anyone who is interested, and this is the thing, whether you're an operations person, founder, CEO, major gift officer, you know, I believe fundraising is one of the few tethers across an organization. And my really my my staunch definition of the culture of philanthropy, which I've seen defined a million different ways, is when people whose job description does not focus on fundraising, when those people can be brought to think about philanthropy in the work that they do. And that how they're meeting with a program partner or a media personality or something like that could translate to someone being so inspired by the work that they part with their hard-earned dollars. And so I would say it's a leadership book. You're making me think about this upside down now. It's a leadership book through the lens, if I put my glasses on, of servant leadership in a way that if enacted, results in philanthropy. That is... That couldn't be the title because that would have been seven pages. In <laughs> you could try that. No one would buy it maybe, but <laughs> your publisher yeah, wouldn't listen. But that's, so I suppose like the tail end of the book is it's a leadership book that frames things through servant leadership and if done well, it will result in money and teams that are better functioning and know how to work more cohesively together. So that's, yeah, maybe I should have done that from the start. Okay, next, could you do that for your next book? So <laughs> when I update this one, there you go. Years. You can update it. Exactly. I actually, I think you're absolutely right on that. I think uh, I have found that people give to authenticity. I think people give when you do listen. So I think a lot of the principles are absolutely right on. And I do think uh, donors who are wanting to give your organization, if you have the traits of servant leadership, I do think you're much more likely to have donors get behind you and give because they trust you. And they feel like this is going to be used exactly how I want and it's going to be used well. So I think that's actually a great approach. Now, let me ask you another question. You're in the nonprofit sector. You've got a lot of experience there. What do you think are the biggest leadership challenges facing us today and say in the next year or so? I am doing a little bit of research, which I think is unique only because I am a, I'm not a consultant. I'm not a vendor. I am an in-house. You know, For 20 years, I've been in-house doing programming, operations, fundraising. Uh, I'm partnering with a, a dear friend, colleague of mine, Michelle Flores, and we're doing some research on... I promise there's a point to this. We're doing some research on nonprofit employee retention, specifically in the US, because you know it's a 12 plus million person field in the US. Like we, we figured we'd just start with the US. And we asked, we put out this survey. We had a few hundred responses. I'm told the margin of error is small enough that it is a statistically significant sample group. So we feel good about that. But we asked people 
basically how they're feeling about their work. You know, are you looking for another job? Or are you not looking for another job? If you are looking for another job, what are the reasons? If you're not, what's encouraging you to stay? You know, what industry are you in? What scope of work are you doing? Uh, and the staggering thing, we're going to work on distilling this down and, and start talking more publicly about this early next year. The national all industry average for people looking for new work right now is about 64, 65%. Take a guess, Rob, what the response in our survey was for the percentage of people looking actively for new work in the nonprofit sector. Take a I'm guess. I'm guessing way higher. 85? Not that high, okay. but 75. Okay. There you are. So, so three quarters of people actively looking for new work. And only about a third of those people have told us that they're actively looking in the nonprofit oh, sector. interesting. Which they're leaving the sector. Interested in leaving the sector. I wrote this down before. I mean, when you, if you were to extrapolate that to the 12 plus million people working in the sector, I would say that Every single person who considers them, you know, leadership and management being two different things, but senior managers, chief executives, if in your strategic plan, if in your organizational budget, if you are not laser focused on the people you have in your organization, if that is not a, if you've got a strategic plan and you have five major priorities, if your people aren't numbers one, two, three, four, and five in some way, shape, or form, your organization and by proxy this field are in for a disastrously unfortunate ride over the next few years. And we will focus in a little bit more on some of the responses on why people said they're leaving or looking to leave and, and some of the things that maybe we can encourage people to, to lean into because that's what's keeping them around. But I think if people in positional authority were to focus on anything, don't create a new fundraising campaign. Don't create a new rebrand. Don't blah, 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 blah pause a lot of the noise and focus on your people. Check in holistically on your people. A lot of organizations need to lean into servant leader healing and work on building that base back up. This fund, fundraising has some of the shortest tenure in the, in the States. 16 to 18 months, people are looking for new jobs. And that's, that's half the time of a major gift pipeline trajectory. So you know, within the course of a major gift, a major donor is going to have to learn the names of two or three new staff members. That's not great. So people, 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 people. Wow, boy, that is great wisdom there, Evan. I really appreciate you saying that. I could not agree more with that. And I think it's even more heightened since COVID. I feel like all the studies have shown that, yeah, one of the reasons what I've heard and I have people on my show talk about is that's exactly right. They don't feel heard. They don't feel cared for or they don't feel like there's a way for them to grow personally. They don't want to be a cog in a wheel and something bigger where there's just no opportunity for them to be known who they are and and to bring their whole self to work. So I I love that emphasis. And so as I think about your book then, and, and for my listeners, if they're going to read it and pick it up, what is one or two key ideas you want everyone to take away from this book? That's the $1,001 question, I think. Gosh, I, I find when I really sit, and I go back and I read um, The Servant as Leader often. Greenleaf was inspired by Herman Hesse's Journey to the East. I go back and I read that book often. When I sit with these things, I get this really... It's like... Did you watch the show, Ted Lasso? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a great, great show. Okay. Do you remember the feeling you had at the very end of Ted Lasso? You know, that final episode when he gets on the plane in the airport? I can't... There's probably a word in German to describe that feeling, but that's how I feel. That sort of warm yearning to do better and do good and be a better human. That's what I get from servant leadership. I think because only like 15% of the book gives people the history of servant leadership, I didn't feel we needed yet another massive compendium on the subject. It was very leaning into the practical stuff, but it is such a warm, heartfelt philosophy from a human being. You know, Greenleaf, you could go back to Jesus Christ and even in earlier religious leaders, servant leadership did not magically appear in 1970. Um, 
this is a philosophy that some of the best human beings on the planet for for millennia and eons have, have focused on. But it's, like I said earlier, I think it's this thing that can really help inspire and grow human beings. If you read the book, you can read a lot about healing, like I said before, and this notion of if, if we just... You know, if we, we tuned out the noise a little bit, if we made a little bit of budget money available for our professional development, if we, you know, two fundraisers have been doing five fundraisers worth of work for 10 years in this organization, but our programs team has 15 more people than they need. Can we think differently about how we focus our budgeting? Because your budget is a big marketing tool. And I, I talk about all this stuff in the book. And I think, I feel, I believe that it really is this thing that can nurture you know, I had someone reach out to me who bought the book who's in sales. They're not even a nonprofit. They said, I'm stealing some of this stuff for the sales stuff because fundraising, sales, you're building relationships with people. So that's what I would hope that people have that last episode of Ted Lasso feeling when they read this and when they learn more about servant leadership and Greenleaf himself. Uh, nice. Uh, yeah, a little shout out to Ted Lasso. And if you haven't watched the show, I do recommend it. It is a great show. If anybody's interested in leadership, that's a fascinating series to look at leadership. And so thank you for that. Well, for my listeners, uh, how can they find out a little bit more about the book and about you? If they want to connect with you, wh- where would you send them? LinkedIn. I am the joke that I make is I'm the less handsome Evan Wildstein on LinkedIn. <laughs> and the nonprofiteers.com is a great place to go to learn more about the book and me and some of the folks that I surround myself with as well. Excellent. Well, Evan, again, thanks so much for being on the show. And just thanks for your, your sharp mind that you add a lot of great insights. You ask a lot of good questions for us nonprofit leaders to really consider. So thanks for also adding this great book to the many books that are out there. I encourage my listeners to check it out and uh, check out Evan on LinkedIn. So thanks again for taking time to be on the show. Thank you so much. It's with a seven-month seven-month-old baby here. I've not heard anyone tell me that my mind has been sharp. So this is that is a great compliment. So thank you. I'm here for you. Absolutely. You've done great. Hey, friends. Well, I wanted you to know that this podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Google Podcasts, and wherever you listen to other podcasts. I also want to encourage you to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others. This will actually help us get this great content out to more nonprofit leaders just like you. You can also join the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast community, find other resources and interviews of past guests all on my website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Well, thanks again for listening. And until next time, keep making your world better.